it requires no consensus changes to Bitcoin at all. The trick is lifting all of that logic off-chain and being able to challenge a few steps of the computation on-chain if the other party asserts a dishonest outcome. In short, BitVM will bring arbitrary Turing-complete computation in an enforceable way to Bitcoin itself today. The best in Bitcoin made audible. I am Guy Swan, and this is Bitcoin Audible. What is up, guys? Welcome back to Bitcoin Audible. I am Guy Swan, the guy who has read more about Bitcoin than anybody else you know. And we have a pretty serious development to go over today. This has happened within literally 24 hours ago that this dropped, and this has already blown up all over Twitter. Um, uh, well, at least it's making its rounds pretty quick, but it's about BitVM. And uh, Super Testnet, uh, Robin Linus is the author, and I believe Super Testnet is involved in the building, and there was somebody else, and I've now forgotten them. I'm sorry. I'm going to have uh, the names that I know that are associated with this project. Um, but it's from the Zero Sync guys. So I actually don't know how much Super Testnet is involved. I just know him personally. So it was easy to see his, or it was easy to remember his name when it came up. But it's called BitVM. And it is essentially, and I'll, I'll try to explain this again afterward. Because um, I want Shinobi. Shinobi has written an article on Bitcoin Magazine uh, breaking this down. And a huge thank you to Shinobi for trying to help make sense of this because it's, it, it's a little bit complex and you know, it's a lot like lightning. It's not intuitive at first and there's a lot of pieces to kind of understand how computer architecture works to kind of understand how this is even possible. So this piece does get a little technical and it'll probably be hard to, like rough to follow in audio. Um, you you kind of need to stop and think about it, but just, I would say just get through it Pick up what you can, and then we're going to kind of go over it again in the guy's take, and we will be covering this topic again 100%. I already hit up, tried to hit up uh, Robin to Robin Linus to try to have on the show, and I've always found that the best way to understand stuff is to just hit it over and over and over again and attack it from you know different angles. So that is what we are going to do, and we have a lot of that actually to go back with Arc and Spider Chains to go through this because there's just been a lot of new development, but we will get to it in the guy's take. But if you wanted 10,000 sats from me, you could go ahead and make a page on Nodeless. It takes literally a couple of clicks, and you can create a donation page where you can you can set up a fundraiser, you can do whatever you want, but you set up a donation page, you post it on social, and you tag me, I will send you 10,000 sats. Nodeless is KYC-free. It's not a subscription. You're not signing. You literally just go, create an account, make a donation page. I'll send you 10,000 sats. In fact, in just a little bit, I'm thinking I'm going to make a paywall and show you that as an example because I can literally do it in probably 20 or 30 seconds. And then when I get those sets, I send them to my cold card, which I have right now hooked up to my nunchuck, my tap signer, and my cold card using NFC. Man, it is just magical. I just love this setup the more and more I use it. And if you want a cold card, uh, they are actually offering a 9% discount for you guys. Use code BitcoinAudible. And if you want the link, it is right there in the show notes so that you can easily get to it. And then a huge thanks to Fold and the Fold card, the Fold app, because the gift cards and the boost, like there is so much I get, I still, I just get so many sats from the Fold card and it's a debit card. So you can literally combine your credit card points and your debit card sats back with Fold by using, I use a bill, uh, a PayPal bill pay to pay off my Amazon credit card. So I get Apple cash back on stuff that I just kind of do day to day. And then I just immediately pay it off with the fold card and I get sats. And then also on literally everything else that I do, you should check it out. My link is bitcoinaudible.com slash fold. And with that, let's get into today's read. And it's titled, The Big Deal with BitVM. Arbitrary computation is now possible on Bitcoin without a fork by shinobi any arbitrary computation can now be verified on bitcoin with no soft fork necessary in a challenge response based protocol that can be enforced on chain 
Fear the Wizards. Not those wizards, real wizards. Announced today by developer Robin Linus of ZeroSync, an association founded to help scale Bitcoin by using zero-knowledge proofs. BitVM is a proposal that opens very interesting doors for Bitcoin application development going forward. It can enable pretty much any arbitrary computation and use that computation to enforce what happens to Bitcoin on-chain. It requires no consensus changes to Bitcoin at all. The trick is lifting all of that logic off-chain and being able to challenge a few steps of the computation on-chain if the other party asserts a dishonest outcome. In short, BitVM will bring arbitrary, Turing-complete computation in an enforceable way to Bitcoin itself today. The Basics of Logic Gates To really grasp the mechanisms behind the proposal, we need to understand a little bit about the physical and logical basis of computation. Everyone knows that under the hood your computer is just passing around individual ones and zeros to do everything it does. But how does that work? What does it mean? Every single chip in your computer at its core is composed of millions or billions of individual things called logic gates. These little devices take either one or two bits of information, a one or a zero, and perform a simple logical operation on them to produce either a one or a zero as an output, which then feeds into the next logic gate. There are many different types of logic gates, some that just take a single bit and put out the same number fed into it, the buffer gate. Others take a single bit and output the opposite value it receives, the not gate, or an inverter. Some take two bits and output one if both input bits are one, with any other combination outputting a zero, the AND gate. Lastly, at least here today in this list of examples, is a gate that takes two bits and outputs zero if both inputs are ones and outputs one for all other bit combinations, the NAND gate. The interesting thing about a NAND gate is that you can build any other type of logic gate just from NAND gates. It definitely won't be as efficient as just making a special purpose version of the other gate, but it will get the job done. So given that you can build any logic gate out of NAND gates, you can build circuits for any arbitrary computation out of NAND gates. Building NAND on Bitcoin Now, how do you build a NAND gate with existing Bitcoin script? Hash locks and two other opcodes you are probably unfamiliar with. OpBooland and OpNot. First, let's look at the hash locks. You create a branching script that can be spent one of two ways, revealing the pre-image to hash lock A, or revealing the pre-image to hash lock B. Path A would put the number 1 on the stack, and path B would put the number 0. This allows you to, quote, unlock a bit to be used as an input to the NAND gate we are building by providing the pre-image to the hash lock. You can only fulfill the script with one or the other, not both, and there are reasons we will get into shortly for this. This simple primitive is just there to allow users to commit to single bits at a time for use in a NAND gate script. Now think back to what a NAND gate is. It takes two bits and outputs one. If the input bits are both ones, then the output has to be zero. If the input bits are any other combination, the output is a one. You can use the two-path hash lock trick above to commit to both inputs as well as the output. You just need a way to verify that the output is correct. This is where opBooland and opNot come in. After you have picked which values to assign as inputs and which output value to verify it against, you can take advantage of a neat trick. OpBooland does the exact opposite that NAND does. If both inputs are ones, the output is one. Everything else outputs zero. OpNot takes whatever value is input and reverses it. A one becomes a zero and vice versa. This allows you to take the two input values and actually do a NAND operation on them on the scripting stack. You can then verify the output of that against the asserted output committed to with the hash lock trick using op equal verify. 
The script will not pass evaluation if the actual NAND operation output created on the stack doesn't match the output the user claims it will produce. You now have a NAND gate implemented in Bitcoin script in a way that actually enforces with Bitcoin script that the virtual NAND gate operates correctly. Where the arbitrary computation comes in. So what can you do now that you can make a single NAND gate in Bitcoin script? You can create an entire tapleaf tree that covers every single step of any arbitrary computation, just like actual logic gates do to make computer processors. To accomplish complex computation, people put logic gates together in series, so that once you feed the initial inputs into the first gates, the output of each of them feeds right into another gate as input. The same thing is accomplished here by tying hash locks together appropriately between gates. I.e., if one gate script has a choice between the pre-images of values C1 or C2 as an output, the next gate in the series uses those same hash lock values in the matching input. This way, the only way for someone to lie about the result from the previous gate is to reveal the other C hash lock. We can use this for a penalty mechanism. Both users take whatever computation they want to engage in and break it down into a circuit of only NAND gates, doing the computation gate by gate. They then take and encode every individual gate in the circuit with the appropriate hash lock choices for each circuit step and encode it into a tapleaf tree that a single UTXO can be locked to. There is one version of the tree for the user trying to prove they are executing the program correctly, and one version for the person verifying it is executed correctly. Now what they do is pre-sign a series of transactions for a challenge and response game that can be executed on-chain. Ideally, the entire computation is run through and verified off-chain, and users cooperatively settle it by spending the funds together to the appropriate person based on the computation's outcome. If the prover stops cooperating, however, the verifier can challenge them on-chain. Step 1 is loading money into the scheme. One script path will let the prover just claim the money unilaterally after a time lock. The next script path will let the verifier instantly claim the money if they can show the pre-images to both the possible values for any input or output of the current gate. The next script path will allow the verifier to force the prover to execute any specific gate contract on-chain, i.e. the one right after they stop cooperating with off-chain. This path requires the verifier to release another hash lock pre-image that only they have, functioning as a lock for each gate challenge to the prover. This guarantees the prover can only execute that specific gate. The verifier's pre-signed transaction for that path will spend it to a script with the following script paths. The verifier's pre-signed transaction for that path will spend it to a script with the following script paths. The verifier takes the coins after a time lock or the prover executes the gate and spins the coin back into a script like the first one. The prover can claim the money after a time lock. The verifier can claim it instantly if showing both pre-images to any single hash lock pair, or the verifier can challenge the prover again. Only a few rounds of this scheme will guarantee the contract settles correctly. Either the verifier runs out of pre-signed transactions to keep challenging the prover because the prover keeps demonstrating correct execution of each gate and the prover claims the fund. Or the prover does not respond to a challenge because it would allow them to be penalized and the verifier claims the funds after a time lock. Or the prover actually does execute a gate incorrectly on-chain and the verifier claims the funds immediately. Ideally, Everything happens off-chain and is settled cooperatively. But if cooperation fails, there literally is no other outcome after just a few rounds on-chain than the contract settling correctly. Where to go from here? Certainly, a proposal of this magnitude will be discussed for some weeks going forward. 
the amount of data needed to be processed and generated is enormous. We are talking tap trees with leaves numbered in the billions and pre-signed transactions to go with them, all at least a few hops long to ensure accurate settlement. The off-chain data management cost is absolutely massive. The other big limitation is this scheme will only work with two parties, one playing the role of proving correct execution and the second playing the role of verifying it. While it is possible future research finds a way to generalize this to more participants, I at least see no clear path to accomplishing that. Also, even addressing that particular problem, I see no way to get around that this is an interactive protocol requiring participation at all times by all participants in the cooperative case. Nonetheless, this is a very interesting demonstration of how complex programs can be used to enforce conditional control over Bitcoin. There is definitely room for optimization in terms of how much logic can be packed into a single leaf script or what can be done with different opcodes to make the entire scheme more efficient. Simple deconstruction to the basic operations and game-theoretic balances can enforce any arbitrary computation using Bitcoin. Truly the creation of wizards. So I am logging into nodeless.io right now. Now, if you remember there, maybe you know about this, but on the YouTube channel and for the AI Unchained show, I made a little app where I can drag and drop any media file to anything that has an audio track into a little drag and drop app just on my icon, which is on my dock right now because I use it all the time. And it will automatically pull up a couple of different tools, extract the audio, and then put it into Whisper AI, which will turn it into text. It'll make a text and a subtitle file. So I use this all the time. And this is an Apple script app, so it works on a Mac. And I'm actually going to add in a Linux version of this, but I haven't sorted out all the kinks yet. But I'm just, I just logged in, and now I'm clicking on Paywall, which is right here on the side. And I make one, and we're going to punch in drag and drop transcription. Make it 2100 sats, and here's my link. And done. And that's it. That I just logged in to Nodeless. And I just made a, I now have a public link, which I'll actually put in the show notes just for fun. And I can accept 2100 sats for you to download a simple transcription app that you can do transcription on your own computer now for free. I didn't have to host a website. I didn't have to run special code, nothing. It took moments. And on top of that, there's no subscription. There's no KYC. I'm not paying Nodeless for this. I just went and made an account and made a paywall and they get 1% if I make a sale. And that offloads so much of the work that I would have to do. Channel management, running a web server, having a front end and an interface, none of that. And my offer is still on the table. If you go make a donation page, which also is something that you can literally do in about the same amount of time, publish it on social and tag me, I'll throw you 10,000 sats. I will give you 10,000 sats if you make a donation page on Nodeless. So check it out. Link and all the goodies will be right there in the show notes. So this is a fascinating proposal. Um, this is a really crazy development, and it's interesting to see. This is why I love bear markets, man. Because, like, all the noise is just gone, and the only things that rise to the surface, well, I take that back, except for the drama, except for the infighting. Uh, bear markets are really interesting when Bitcoiners just fight other Bitcoiners for every dumb reason under the sun. And it's just, I think it's mostly just out of boredom. Uh, there's no like external fight to have. Uh, but aside from the typical drama that seems to come up in the bear markets, it's where all the best building comes uh, or comes to fruition, I guess, maybe is the, the better way to put it, because it will start during the, the bull run when people kind of realize we're going to go through another cycle and you know, three to four years out, there's going to be a fa there's going to be another wave of this, and then you have people re really trying to rethink all of the different ways that we can utilize this. Now, this is a huge one. This is a really, really big one for the simple fact that we don't know. There's so many ins and outs of you know managing arbitrary computation, and uh, the 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 really exciting thing about this is the fact that it's a series of like challenges to contest it or to um, uh, enforce the rightful owner 
so that even in kind of the worst case where, you know, challenges are being consistently punished or uh, during the execution, like there's a conflict, is that even, even with like, you know, a billion different scripting paths or branches in this tap leaf or the series, this tap leaf series of uh, executions of, of individual bits, uh, you still only end up with like a few transactions because it's like, a, I guess you would think of these maybe as checkpoints of did we agree on the outcome or not? And because you, actually let's step back, let's step back and kind of go through the construction of this because I haven't wrapped my head fully around it. I read the white paper uh, as well this morning and then I read a uh, what else? What's, what else? Read? I don't know. There's there's another something about it that was sharing around on Twitter, and then I watched a couple of videos on Logic Gates, and and I'm still not. There's still a piece disconnected in my mind for wh- how how the output of the computation is kind of settled or agreed on, separate from the output of the script, because. Obviously, the computation itself, even though you're computing it, because it's a different layer, right? Is the the NAND gates, the the logic being built into the Bitcoin script, and that's that's something else to point out too. Is Shinobi specifically says in this that we're talking about a massive computational problem? Think about this: is that you know you, you want a computer to be as efficient as absolutely possible to transfer a zero to a one and a one to a zero, right? Is to to just past the zeros and ones so that you can have really big complex pieces of software well well when you when you actually have a script you're 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 basically reverting you're doing like four layers above the hardware to have a bitcoin script which is really big and clunky and supposed basically built only to do like a couple of things but it's his own like programming language right so it's made of zeros and ones that are abstracted 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 and now you're trying to turn this this script, this this programming language, back into computing just zeros and ones by using the the actual script, the opt codes, which is crazy to think about. Like you would never, from an efficiency standpoint, you would never ever want to do this. This is absurd. But from the context of can you execute this so that it is on-chain enforceable, so that Bitcoin can actually enforce what is happening in the computation. Well, that's actually really crazy from the standpoint. So it's like purely like computationally, it's a purely security function. And by doing this through the script, by rebuilding the entire thing, it's funny, rather than the process needing just the compute of the zeros and ones, essentially everything, every single zero and one that you're computing needs like probably, I don't even know what it would be. I was trying to think about like what the, the level of factor the 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 factorial or the multiple for how much computation is actually occurring just to transfer a one to a zero or a zero to a one like just to process an AND gate and it's probably like a hundred times or a thousand times even like like it it's it probably multiple orders of magnitude for how much computation actually occurs so you would need you necessarily would need to be hyper efficient about how you executed the code. But then again, at the exact same time, you want to do that anyway because you don't want any ambiguity in the execution. You want to make sure that two separate people can execute it on two different systems and everybody 100%, 100% of the time, not 99.7% of the time, 100% of the time reaches the exact same conclusion, like the same output of the code. Because if it doesn't, then it means ownership is good, like the whole thing is going to fall apart and you're going to get like, you're going to get a quote unquote smart contract that just deletes people's coins or you know gives it to the wrong person but just for the purposes of because he is explaining the nand gates and the and and all that stuff i'll have a link to a video uh, one of the videos that i watched that somebody else linked to that i thought was really good in kind of explaining how you can have two nand gates and actually an interesting little tidbit um is that i found out that the first apollo missions were actually built with nothing but nand gates that was actually that was just the only gate, and all of the the software, the circuits, everything for the Apollo missions were all built with NAND gates. And it wasn't until later that 
because of the transistors and the you know electronics revolution that the other gates were made and then they were able to essentially take out two-thirds of the amount of code or circuitry in the software or in the, the setup in order to produce the same results. So just thinking about it like that is the fact that you have to use NAND gates in order to recreate and and OR gates. So you're kind of abstracting down in complexity rather than abstracting up in complexity. Or you're using something more complex in order to create something simpler um, because you don't you don't really have that primitive to start from. So because of that, not only are you just just to get the zero and one out of it, are you, you know, massively more inefficient in what the computation is, but you're also, if you want to do a simpler shift than a NAND gate, you actually have to use multiple NAND gates to recreate the, the, the less functionality. But, obviously, the crazy benefit, the crazy output of this is that you can have arbitrarily, just arbitrary computation. Um, and going back to the construction of this, it seems like because you can do booland and uh, not, like op booland and op not, op, op, good God, op not. Dude, speaking in jargon and script is the worst. And I know that the audio of this probably came off really difficult. But what's funny about this is that this is actually a lot like the Lightning Network. There's a lot of those same nuances, except that this is like kind of like hyper-stacked on top of each other. But ultimately, it's this same kind of punishment, insurance, cooperative path, or paths, set of paths, in this, in the output of the script, such that you're signing everything that's needed in order to publish the transaction if someone reveals a secret which is essentially undoing or contesting any of the states of the computation that's going on or basically the only keys that are present are those to cooperatively close or have a time lock to close individually if the other person doesn't contest or show up and sign for any of their part of the agreement. So essentially the enforcement mechanism is a fraud proof just like lightning is, is that everything works great and then there's a time lock if something goes, if everybody's working together, everything's fine and you just have a normal transaction that just looks like it's from a multi-sig to, well, it just doesn't even look like those, you can't even tell if it's a multi-sig actually with Taproot, so it just looks like one UTXO going to another UTXO. There's no complexity, there's no visibly, visible like thing happening in the background and that's another really powerful thing that we've talked about with taproot a lot is that you can have these unbounded it's, it's virtually there you you basically have a limit for the four megabytes things because your signature data can only be so big but regardless you can have massive tap trees and tap leaf chains based on all of these possible paths and all the possible signatures and all the possible hash locks which in this case the, the see that's another thing to add in is there's a hash lock every single time you do another bit so that's another like huge addition to the computation to just change a bit but you have all of this increasing complexity and execution that you can do completely off chain in order to figure out where in the tap tree you want to actually execute and then to go on chain you don't none of that is it's all invisible it's all just not there like my node doesn't download all of that crap and even in the case where they want to enforce it and someone is actively challenging them hoping that they don't enforce it even with just like one two three transactions the rightful owner is still going to get it so the challenger if they are wrong at the end of the day challenging it is stupid because then you're just paying multiple transaction fees to still just not end up with anything so the economic imbalance, or the economic balance, really, I guess, incentive structure is such that it doesn't even make sense to challenge. Unless that challenge is absolutely over the entire balance. Like, you know you're going to get it because someone is trying to cheat, which they would just be hoping that you would be offline, I guess, is really the only way that it makes sense that 
uh, a contest in this would even be feasible or even make slight sense to try to execute if you weren't the rightful owner, if you weren't the output of the, of the computation. So the entire enforcement scheme is basically just like lightning, except that instead of the hash lock representing a payment that is coming from a set of keys you know, external to your channel if you're, you're routing something through, and rather than it being a, a subset of like individual keys. So he, he says pre-image, and this is important to understand is that the pre-image just means secret. It just means a key that's specific to the payment rather than the key that's specific to the UTXO. So like you have a, and this is exactly how Lightning works too. So um, this is regarding the justice or the challenge transactions that occur in the, the branch of as you're doing the computation, you want to, you have these, these checkpoints, right? Where, you know, we've done some of the computation. Did we get the same answer? Okay, yes. And if you get to the next checkpoint and now you have disagreed, you've conflicted when you try to do the compute, which it shouldn't, you shouldn't conflict because the, the Bitcoin script and the computation itself are going to ex execute exactly the same way because the computation is literally built in to the Bitcoin script. So you created a NAND gate and then you use booland and not to recreate it and then you have a verifier and a prover. So one person, they're both doing the computation alongside each other and each one is locked, each checkpoint transaction is locked to the fact that the output of the script which obviously we know everybody's going to, to get the same output of the script. A node wouldn't work. The idea of validation wouldn't occur at all in Bitcoin if everybody wasn't coming to the same conclusion. So the fact that you can put all of these zeros and ones, the execution of these individual zeros and ones on the script means that whatever the hell the output of the zeros and ones are, as long as you have the same tap leaf, which obviously you wouldn't be able to sign anything or create these justice transactions if you didn't because you have to, you have to sign and give each other a, pre-made transaction. You have to do all of this ahead of time. So because of this, all of the hashes essentially represent all of the other computation that's been done along the way until you get to this, these points of conflict where you get to say, you settle, okay, did we agree or did we not? Yes, keep going up the tree until we have done all of the computation. And once you've done all the computation, well, you just have a cooperative close because you both came to the same answer. But Lightning does this exact same thing one layer with payments so obviously if it we, we i guess you could argue that that's a zero or one two you could treat it as a zero or a zero or one does the payment work or is the payment false that's a zero or one right so we're just doing this so many times that we're building a piece of software on top of a script of software built from zeros and ones <laughs> it's such a it's such a like go from zeros and ones to like huge complexity consensus mechanism software protocol and then use that big system to then go back down to recreating zeros and ones it's like this it's like it's this circle of life it's the circle of obnoxious code but in doing so you get to execute without this is the this is the key there is no huge burden on the bitcoin chain for having to execute this and this was one of the problems with something like Ethereum is you have like gas and like depending on the complexity of the script and all of this stuff, you know, like you, you might have just enormous amounts of computation and this is, bur this is a burden that becomes something that has to be actually run in an archival node, a full node, which I, I specifically say archival node because they changed the language to make it seem like you actually are running a full node when you're not running a full node. But a lot of that computation, which I'm not 100% sure how it works now, I think a lot of the L2s, they've tried to offload uh, some of that, um, or a lot of that. But I do know there was a point where you could just have like this really big, comp like heavy computation uh, that would be executed on the actual chain, and all the nodes have to actually run the computation. And it was managed, they had tried to manage it with a set of, like a fee. And it makes a whole lot more sense to actually... It doesn't make a whole lot more sense. It's the only thing that makes sense is to not have the computation on chain so that to validate, you have to actually run all of the computation because all you need to do is validate the output. And in this context, you don't, the tap leaf is just 
essentially invisible to the chain. You never want to publish it to the chain. You never would. You don't need to. It's just there to build the transaction so that the eventual key that owns the UTXO is dependent upon the execution of that entire branch of zeros and ones, which might just be an image. Might just be... But it's not an inscription. It's not like operturn data that's just like shoved into the blockchain. It, I don't want that confusion to be pulled from this because that's not what it is. We still have all of the limitations, the concrete limitations to how much it costs to validate a hash, how much it costs to prove a signature and you know go through all the transactions. Like the blockchain is not going to be bloated by this in any means, it doesn't seem like, unless there's just enormous amounts of justice transactions, but then you're just saying that it's bloated by the fact that three people are having to publish three or four transactions in order to force their ownership when that's not that's not spam that's literally explicitly just to make sure that you are the rightful owner that you, the, the rightful person is actually getting their um the coins that they deserve or that they are owed and a good example of that is that you have to do two for a lightning justice transaction you publish two one of the addresses that has a different set of outcomes or have a, has a different set of stipulations about it that you've already pre-signed to exit to and then that one is the one that lets you pay out in the case of um the other party not being there so and maybe this isn't even well known by a lot of people but it, it's multiple transactions to make sure in the the case of a contest in case of a conflict on lightning it's multiple transactions to prove your ownership so this would be basically the same idea it's just you'd probably need a little a few more of them because of the amount of computation or the size of the tap leaf tree, so to speak, that needs to be proven in order to, you know, get the funds at the end of it. And of course, the other crazy thing, oh, this is also, by the way, why CTV is, would be a, a benefit to something like Lightning. And I wonder what CTV, or just a commitment transaction, I'm pretty sure it makes it so that you don't need the two-step justice transaction in Lightning. I'm pretty sure that means that you could basically just sign to a commitment where the funds can only move to X address and a certain, essentially the entire output transaction has been committed to ahead of time. So rather than needing to go to a secondary set of conditions at a different address and then executing those, you can just kind of put all of it in a commitment where... If I'm not here, the only thing that can execute it is directly to this. I think, I think, I, I, I could be wrong about that. But that's kind of one of the clever benefits of something like CTV is that you get this specificity in how you can pay out from some address or something. But here's the crazy thing, is that now you could do this, there's no reason you couldn't do it with this. Because you could have it so that you have to run a computation that stipulates something about the transaction. So I'm pretty sure you could do a few things. Now, now, just in general, we would still most likely, I mean, you want it to be efficient, right? You, you, you want an opcode for something that's going to be very valuable. But what's interesting about this is you could probably start trying it out. You could probably create covenants. You could create vaults. You could create a bunch of these things just in the tap leaf like like doing the actual compute in the tap leaf itself. And of course it would be inefficient and you know there'd be these sort of drawbacks, but it would kind of be the proof of the use case that you could just switch it over to CTV when CTV got soft forked in. Granted, this, this thing is it's not like we might get a CTV soft fork by the time we figure out how to build all of this stuff in kind of a secure way. Um, but this is like kind of right in line with spider chains, and this is a bigger deal than spider chains in my opinion. And it also makes me wonder, because spider chains are so interesting in the context that, and I talked about this in that episode, and I think one of the episodes after it, is the idea of proof of stake being an incredibly valuable system on top of proof of work. Because in my mind, proof of stake is a terrible consensus mechanism, a distributed consensus mechanism, because you, you're using the very history that you're trying to prove as correct or not to be the proof of who owns what and who actually has the stake. So the stake is within that consensus. So it's completely circular. But if your stake, whether or not you own the Bitcoin, whether or not you own the 
the asset itself is built on proof of work consensus that actually has some real world cost so that you can economically prove that somebody owns something and it's not deciding who owns what but instead the proof of stake system is deciding who gets punished within this within another layer of the system in this in this case the spider chain well in that case proof of stake is actually a really clever is, is actually an extremely useful tool because it's the very thing you could do is where you could essentially have some sort of a payment system or a pool where in order for someone to attempt to cheat, they have to actually stake Bitcoin at risk. And ultimately, the proof of work consensus is how they get punished so that they can't use their stake to cheat the system that says what they own. Because their proof of stake has nothing to do with the proof of work consensus. It's Bitcoin ultimately that determines who owns what. So maybe that was, that was confusing. Maybe an example here is, let's just use one entity or two entities to kind of simplify this analogy. So completely proof of stake, a, a total proof of stake system is like trusting the Federal Reserve to update the Federal Reserve's ledger and then saying that the Federal Reserve has to have its own money, the money that it has on its own ledger has to be up for punishment within the proof of stake system. And then you as the user, it's just, it's just you and the Federal Reserve here. You're the one who's going to punish what they own in the ledger if they try to cheat. Now, that's a dumb example because it's not distributed and they're the only ones that are updating the ledger. But just in the idea is that the ledger itself is what's saying how much they own, how much they have at stake. And then trying to determine whether or not somebody cheated on the ledger is the thing you're trying to prove. So you essentially have no universal truth. You, you either have to trust the history's the ledger's history or not. Whereas in a proof of work, let's say it's their gold stake, but you hold the gold, like physically hold the gold, rather than you just like, you have control over, you know, punishing their ledger, what they own in the Federal Reserve ledger. You actually physically have the gold. So if they try to cheat, you just take the gold, you just leave. That's actual proof of stake because they can't control the gold ledger. So this is kind of the relationship of proof of stake on top of proof of work. Now, the reason I bring that up is because when you have arbitrary computation that you can build into a script hidden away even from the blockchain, not, not even being necessary, but just its output, essentially unlocking a coin or not. Now I'm immediately wondering, okay, what kind of complexity, what kind of proof of stake system can we create with this? And one of the things even proposed right in the white paper was that even though right now, it's funny, Shinobi said that he doesn't see it being, it being able to do channels, or excuse me, doing a group computation in this way. Whereas the white paper says they, they kind of see that there probably is a path to having uh, parties, you know, like multiple parties, like a group of people. Um, engaging in this same relationship. So it'll be interesting to see what the nuances there and how things play out. And more importantly, how we can more efficiently kind of abstract like groups of code. Like I wonder if there's something else that we can do with the opcodes to, rather than having to build a NAND gate that's building the zeros and ones for every single piece, is that you can kind of put them in the blocks, you know, and, and you could somehow create slightly more complex series of, zeros and ones like you can have some explicit execution that happens in like three op codes that is actually taking the place of like you know the computation of like 15 zeros and ones just 15 different gates and that'll be interesting too probably because it might actually change how we write the code how we write programs because we're building it around the limitations of how you would build a block of code in script to do something rather than how you would build a block of gates specifically to do it so anyway, there's going to be a whole lot of interesting development and changes and standardization from this, but this is a freaking huge deal. And what's funny is the very first thing that came to my mind, uh, the episode we did not too long ago on UTX Oracle, that was one of the big things about UTX Oracle is the fact that you can get the price off the Bitcoin, off a Bitcoin node. You can get the dollar price because the dollar is the dominant network. You actually have these lines that go through the Bitcoin chain of in UTXOs and in, in balances, 
that are transacted in that are whole numbers, that are $10, that are $50, $100, you know, $200, $1,000. Like there's just these, these lines that just show up in the UTXO data set. If you go to utxo.live, you can see them. And uh, they've created this, and it's cool. They've been on like a number of different shows now. They're from the Raleigh crew. They're my friends. And it's been awesome to see them actually execute and bring this whole idea out. This is, I think this is a huge deal. And what's funny, one of the big problems that you would need with a system like that is how do you get it so that the on-chain data is what determines, like, okay, well, with a full node, you and I can separately execute some a math problem on our UTXO set to determine with 99% accuracy what the Bitcoin price is. That's awesome. Except, how do you enforce it on the Bitcoin chain? How do you get Bitcoin to know what the computation was when we ran, when we looked on our Bitcoin node to see what the Bitcoin price was at X block height? Well, that's not an easy challenge. Maybe there is some obvious way to do it. But here's the thing is that if you can do any... We, we found it. This is it. I mean, maybe there's some other way to do it, but it doesn't matter. This can do it. Because you can run any arbitrary computation, and that computation can just be checking your node, checking your UTXO set for these patterns, and then coming up with a 99% accurate Bitcoin price. And now you have an oracle. You, you, have, you have a way to have an oracle-less. Your node is your oracle as to what the dollar price of Bitcoin is, and now you can do smart contracts, you can do DLCs, you can do betting markets, you can do stable coins. There's no reason you shouldn't be able to do stable coins this way in SATs. And just like in the, of what I mentioned, the white paper said about, um, about BitVM, is that the first thing that they imagined was being able to build this into a channel-like structure so that you can actually build out a network just like the Lightning Network, except that the computation, what you could be transferring and what sort of agreements you could execute in this, again, are totally arbitrary. They're anything that you can write into software. So while I'm still trying to wrap my head around this, make more sense of exactly how, how all this works, and I may have misspoke or, or said something inaccurate in this episode, um, if anybody has a better understanding, let me know. Uh, if anybody wants to do a write-up and, you know, give me like a really detailed, you know, a good analogy or something, please. I, I still feel like there's a couple of pieces of this I'm missing. I tried to commit like four or five hours this morning to it, but I'm I'm done. I got to get work on something else. Uh, and uh, so I will be coming back to this and revisiting it just like I will be with Spider Chains and we'll still be coming back with Arc because the number of developments in this sort of area that have happened recently are crazy. And then we've got the new... Um, I think it's ARK. ARK Invest, if I'm not mistaken, has the new Lightning report uh, that Lightning has grown in the last two years 1,212%. 1,212% growth. And uh, they're trying to estimate and pull all the data together, which is cool because we've read the report. I think we, I read the report from August 2021. So I think the one they're referring to that they are basing it off of is actually available on the show and audio. I'll, I'll look for it and, and see if that's actually the case or if, if that's the one that they are referring to. But we're probably going to hit that one this week uh, because that's a really big deal. And I also love that Lightning is growing in the bear market. So this is one of the really cool things to see that, you know, the technological and the network development of Bitcoin and the Bitcoin space and Lightning and the payment networks. I really kind of think Lightning is, has become the norm. It has become the dominant means. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe... Maybe that's just naive or, or, I guess, bias from my perspective because everything that I do is lightning. But it just seems like lightning is the default. Like, like lightning is the way that you do payments on Bitcoin now and unless you're doing cold storage or multi-sig. But I don't know. I haven't read the report yet. I just kind of started skimming it and uh, got into it just a little while ago. So I'm going to get back to it now. Um, we'll have that a little bit later on this week. And then I'm also probably going to hit Bitcoin First Revisited uh, that was a fidelity report, also something we have on the show. Uh, and this will be, this is their refresh. This is their new updated version to how to think about it after, what did they say then? What came to fruition? You know, how does that um, theory or that perspective line up today? 
and going forward. And I just, I don't know, I just have a feeling that one's going to be really, really good. So again, uh, feel free to shoot me a message, uh, hit me up on Noster. Um, I'm going to try to catch up on messages and stuff. But this is a, a huge thank you to Shinobi for always kind of breaking these things down and uh, trying to make sense of, it, sense of it for us. And uh, it, it's a huge help for me. And I will be trying to dig much deeper into this um, so that we can carry as much understanding away from this as we possibly can because there's a lot. There's a lot happening and it's exciting. Um, I think we've seen... I think we've seen a couple of things now that I think basically prove something that Bitcoiners have been saying for a long time is that if, if there is anything of value, um, if there is any smart contract, you know, Shinobi has a great piece on smart contracting, actually, that Bitcoin is a smart contract platform. But I think it proves the case that anything that is of value and is technologically relevant will be built on Bitcoin because Bitcoin is the most sound money. And the whole point of all of this is to have a verifiable permissionless money monetary good and monetary base in order to execute. And even previously, it's funny, liquidity pool, the lightning pool, is actually a great example of one that basically did this in a different way, except that you couldn't prove the computation itself. But as long as you were both running the same computation, um, you could you could still just have the output program to or output a hash that would unlock the funds but in this case you're actually proving that you know exactly what the computation is so anyway i've rambled enough i just think this is this is a huge huge development um and the fact that this and spider chains arc actually i think was able to be uh, was able to do this without a soft fork either, but it's just a whole lot better with a soft fork. I think CTV was the one that was really going to make ARC work the way that they uh, Burak wanted to wanted it to. But holy crap, both of these, Spider Chains and BitVM, they work now. They're going to get built. This We're going to have all this stuff. So one by one, what, what the hell is your crypto token for? I don't know. If there are any crypto people out there listening to this, think about it. Anyway, a huge thank you to our sponsors, Nodeless, Coldcard, and Fold, for sponsoring this show and uh, being some of my favorite products in this space. My special links and some other goodies will be in the show notes, so don't forget to check them out. And thank you guys so much for listening to Bitcoin Audible, and I will catch you on the next episode. Until then, everybody, take it easy, guys. Nobody ever figures out what life is all about, and it doesn't matter. Explore the world. Nearly everything is really interesting if you go into it deeply enough. Richard Feynman <laughs>